0: Hello and welcome to the Biology Society of South Australia podcast where we bring you conversations on all things biology in our state. I'm your host Brad Bianco. This week's episode we have Grace Hodder. Grace is a landscape ecologist from the Northern New York Natural Resource Management Board. She is also a PhD student studying the ecology of the Diamond Fire Tail in the Southern Mount Lofty Ranges. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the Great Southern Ark Project, a rewilding effort taking place on the Southern New York Peninsula. Grace, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: That's great. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Mm, me too. So you've got uh, this really cool position uh, yes. with the NRM. And there's a really awesome project, the Great Southern Arc. But Mm -hmm. before we get into that, let's hear a little bit about yourself and what it is you do and how you came to be working on this project.
1: Sure. Um, I grew up with environmental parents who worked for the Department of Environment and we had a bush block in Orgate and apparently before I could say many other words I could say platylobium obtusangulum. Good point. (laughs) which was my dad's favourite. So he was taking me out into the bush and my younger sister when we were really little and teaching us plants. He was a plant nerd. I turned into a bird nerd. (laughs) I went through a brief hiatus of wanting to be a pilot, interestingly enough, in year 12, and that was what I wanted to be. And then I just found my way back to biology and ecology. I discovered ecology because Professor Sue Carthew had a lecture in one of my second year courses And she was the first female professor or lecturer that I'd come across. And she also was presenting this really interesting new science, which was new back in that day. It was semi-new ecology. Ecology? Mm, Compared to biology. Certainly
0: modern ecology. Yeah. The way that we think about it now.
1: That's right. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. Just the idea of how things interact with one another, plants and animals, and how everything in nature works. Yeah. So from there, I was hooked. And I wanted to become an ecologist, and then I met David Payton and suddenly became a bird nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Against my will. (laughs) You're certainly not the last. Yeah. Dave's so passionate, and he's not just about birds, he does everything. He's a true ecologist, and he is a true passionate environmentalist, and I was hooked. So I pestered Dave until he let me go on his Kurong trips and be a scholarship student and then do honours with him. And I believe he said at one point, if I let that girl do a PhD with me, Oranges aren't oranges (laughs) something (laughs) I don't even know what that means (laughs) It meant that he didn't want to let me do a PhD Because I was a really naughty student in third year And he didn't like me very much
0: (laughs) So what did you do your PhD on?
1: Uh, On diamond firetails So they're a threatened finch species I'm specifically studying the population That's in the Mount Lofty Ranges Or Adelaide Hills as most Adelaideans know And they're threatened nationally And they've been declining since at least the 1980s we know that habitat clearance is the broadest reason for their declines, but habitat clearance has largely ceased throughout much of their range and mm-hmm. we don't know why they're continuing to decline. Mm. So I'm investigating that and I'm nearly at the end of a, about a five-year PhD.
0: Coming to a close.
1: Yes, finally.
0: Well, congratulations. Thank you. Let's, uh, before we get into talking about the ARC project, a lot of the reading that I did in preparation for this episode was looking into this concept of rewilding. So I was wondering if you could tell us sure. what is rewilding and what does it aim to do?
1: Sure. It's more of a modern approach to conservation. So rewilding looks at the whole system. It looks at the ecosystem and how all of the components of the ecosystem interact. And it looks to fix the core components that are broken or missing from an ecosystem. So Rewilding doesn't need to be putting animals back, rewilding can be just letting an area regenerate or revegetate naturally. Um, In the sense of the York Peninsula, rewilding will be putting back animals that provide core ecosystem services that are currently missing. So those services could be pollination, they could be soil engineering, so turning over of nutrients. So, uh, core services facilitate um the cycles that keep an ecosystem going and in balance and productive. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's it not does. it's not a band-aid fix to yeah. conservation. It's trying to fix the core issues.
0: Right. So we've we're starting to get this idea in ecology and conservation of a more holistic approach. That's so That's right. Previously, I guess we've, you know, from all the way at the bottom, we're putting pandas in zoos and we're having this mm. total ex situ conservation mm-hmm. of an animal or we're going out into the field and planting trees and we're saying okay this is conservation but what rewilding is, if I'm understanding correctly, mm-hmm. is restoring the processes that the lead to the functions That's right. that lead to an ecosystem perpetuating into the future.
1: That's right, so rather than just putting one species back to conserve that single species, mm-hmm. putting that species back will have a flow-on effect for the whole ecosystem. Yeah. So. Uh, that species is often a keystone species, so that species can engineer their environment. So, keystone species or engineering species can be things like wedge-tailed eagles, which build nests, which diamond firetails then nest in the bottom of. Oh. So, anything it could be anything. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, I guess like the best example I can think of of an ecosystem engineer would be something like a beaver, which through its That's own right. ecology produces a wetland system which mm-hmm. many other plants and animals rely on so this is the, the is a
1: fantastic one it's a really good example that everyone can relate to and mm-hmm. understand
0: i was thinking are there other examples of i know in north america um one of the best examples of this rewilding ecosystem process level conservation mm-hmm. effort is the yellowstone that's where right. they reintroduced wolves and have mm-hmm. this flow-on effect which reduced the population of deer which were in too high of an abundance Mm. which are having detrimental effects on the flora Mm -hmm. are there examples from australia of something of this scale or
1: not that I know of. There so are a lot a of first. rewilding examples from around the world. But it's this—it's a new concept. So mm-hmm. Europe and America are doing it. Um, this is the first that I know of for Australia. Yeah, yeah. On, a large scale. yeah so on a large scale. There are projects like uh, restoring wetlands where certain plants are put back into a wetland system and they purify and clean the water, which then has a flow-on effect. So at a small scale, that can also be called rewilding. But right. this is... Probably the largest of its kind in Australia. Very yeah. exciting. Mm. So
0: let's get into it. What does sure. this project involve? How did sure. it start?
1: So, the project came about from about 10 years of community action planning. Um, so, community action planning is where government and non government collaborate to work out what the needs of their local environment are. So, down on the York Peninsula, there's a really strong community action planning group, and they've been operating for decades. Around ten years ago they started realizing that whilst the Southern York Peninsula has a reasonably large extent of native vegetation still intact.
0: So we've got Innes National Park we've got and our Warren Warr- Bend Conservation
1: yeah. Park, and then we've got a whole lot of heritage agreements that are pretty mm. large and they're locked up in the conservation estate. Uh, so Southern York Peninsula, when you compare it to the surrounding landscape, which is mostly an agricultural land mm-hmm. uh, matrix, has a lot of native vegetation still. But they realize this native vegetation is deteriorating. So it's slowly deteriorating over time. The condition and the productivity of that native veg is declining. And they wanted to do something about that. Innes is a beautiful place. I think it's one of the number one Instagram hotspots in Australia. Oh, really? People go there to take an Instagram photo of the beautiful landscape. And we don't want that to disappear. So it's a tourist attraction. The locals have a strong sense of ownership and pride in that as well. Uh, So they wanted to to fix this ecosystem. So they started looking at how we could uh, improve the condition of the native vegetation in this landscape. So from there, they discovered that, or well, they already knew, but it became apparent that the issue was that the Southern York Peninsula has lost 95% of its native mammals. Wow. Um, 95%. So they've got echidnas left. They've got Western gray kangaroos. They've got uh, pygmy possums. Oh, Cool. And I think that's it. They don't even have brush-tailed uh, brush-tailed <laughs> brush-tail possums. Brush-tailed possums. <laughs> yeah. So they've, wow. they've lost most of their species. So all of these species, there were bilbies, betongs, potteroos, rats, mice, native rats and mice. All of these species had an impact, obviously, on the ecosystem. And some of those species were keystone species that provided those core services for the environment. And they're missing so that it came about that we needed to put those species back to fix the health of this ecosystem.
0: You mentioned declining, declining flora health. I read that forty-one percent of the species that are present are their populations are in decline.
1: That's right. So pretty scary. An introduction
0: of these uh, these native mammals. Mm. How is that going to facilitate the regeneration of these populations? What yeah. exactly do these ecosystem engineers do?
1: good question. So at least two of the species we'll be putting back are called soil engineers. So soil engineers have an impact on the soil as they dig for food or they create burrows to live in and shelter in. Um, so we're putting back the brush-tailed betong and the southern brown bandicoot. So these these guys eat roots, tubers and fungi beneath the soil surface and as they forage for their food they turn over a lot of soil. So brush-tailed bettongs can make up to 200 diggings per night and turn over a lot of uh, soil per year, four tons. Four tons. <laughs> um, so as they do that, that has a, a, a big impact on the health of the soil. You can imagine it aerates the soil as mm, they have mm-hmm. that high level of soil turnover. As they bury leaves, the leaves decompose quicker. Oh, right. As they dig, they create the perfect microhabitat for native seeds to germinate. So this increases the productivity and the health of the system. Southern brown bandicoots are very good spore dispersers of fungi. Yeah. So as they move around um, eating fungi, they disperse the spores and that facilitates the mycorrhizal association, which is a symbiotic relationship between mycorrhizae and plants, which increases plant health.
0: Yeah, I love I love that perfect... To me, that's like the perfect microcosm of what ecology is. Mm-hmm. You have a, an animal eating a fungus, which... Uh, a plant relies on to for its mm-hmm. nutrient acquisition, and there's this perfect cycle. And
1: that's right; it's, it's really a cool. really good example. Yeah. So
0: what's the timeline of this project? Has, has it started yes. yet? Or
1: it has started. It's very exciting. So, uh, we're building a fence, which we should probably discuss a little bit. We're building a fence, and that's stage one of the project. And the fence is uh, starting as we speak, and oh, cool. will hopefully be finished by mid-year this year. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest and most difficult milestones and it's actually underway so that was a, a really big effort to get that happening and it's already happening um, the project has a 25 plus year lifespan so oh, we're wow. really thinking long term it's rare that, that conservation so projects of. can <laughs> think so long term really yeah but my fantastic boss secured a really big grant from the uh, national Landcare program um, and that will um, that will tide us over for five years and then we're hoping that the project will pick up momentum and attract more funding to allow its continuation Um, because we're doing rewilding here the beauty of that is that the project costs will decrease over time because the ecosystem will start taking care of itself
0: yeah and i guess that's the whole thing that you're trying to do here is Mm. restore processes that's right it's not you know you, you're not constantly going out and putting new plants in the ground you're mm-hmm. restoring the processes that facilitate the natural regeneration of these, these that's things.
1: that's right so the management costs of places like Innes and Warren Bull will actually decrease right. over time yeah yeah
0: that's great yeah that's really cool so thinking about you're going to reintroduce you've got a fenced off area you're going to reintroduce some mammals surely there are predators non-native mm-hmm. predators that's right Cats and foxes.
1: Yes, it's what's a going part. on there? So cats and foxes are the major contributor for the declines and extinction of most of Australia's um, extinct and declining mammal species. Um, so uh, feral cats and red foxes, obviously both introduced species, they're prolific hunters, ferocious hunters of our native species. Mm. Um, we have reasonably low numbers of foxes on the southern york peninsula due largely to a program that's been running for the last five years called baiting for biodiversity whereby landowners are encouraged to bait for foxes and the department staff down there the nrm staff natural resources management they're also doing baiting so they've been doing very intensive baiting across the southern york peninsula for five years and fox numbers have reduced significantly from what we can tell from our camera data
0: yeah i read um in the document that the nrm put out that just from that Baiting for Biodiversity project, you know, we think about feral animals being predators of, of our native animals like mm, birds, yeah. but they've had a, a lambing increase of 30%.
1: So Of course, because foxes prey on lambs. Right. So Uh, The Southern York Peninsula is known as the barley capital of Australia. So it's actually a really important agricultural area for Mm. Australia, and we want to improve agricultural productivity. And we can do that with this project and the Baiting for Biodiversity program, which has been reducing fox numbers and increasing lambing rates. The other thing is that feral cats carry a disease called toxoplasmosis, and that increases the chance of stillborn lambs if that's passed to sheep. So by reducing the air, uh, reducing the feral cats in the area we can also reduce um, toxoplasmosis.
0: So if you're baiting for foxes at the moment is this going to have a response in the population of feral cats because you're Mm. taking away one predator is the population of the other predator going to increase Uh, is there a similar
1: cat that's a good question that's right so we'll be controlling for cats as well it's just that that hasn't been happening over the past five years foxes has been the focus Uh, the idea with the fence is that as we've been baiting for foxes fox numbers have become low but bait uptake has stayed the same which Gives us the understanding that foxes are travelling down from the leg or further up yeah. the York Peninsula onto the foot as those ecological niches become available yeah. and foxes are removed from the foot. Mm-hmm. The foot is the southern York Peninsula. Yeah. So we're putting a strategic fence. It's called strategic because it actually has gaps where there are roads.
0: Right, of course.
1: Yeah, so the fence will go across the thinnest part of the York Peninsula and that will the the idea is that will reduce fox immigration onto the foot of the Southern York Peninsula. Meanwhile, we're going to be increasing the baiting intensity inside the fenced area, the Great Southern Arc, mm-hmm. and hopefully get fox numbers down even lower. Now, once the fence is in, we also now have the funding to start a cat removal process. So that's more of a delicate operation. Of course, we have people that live in this area that have pet cats that they love very much. We are not aiming to harm those cats, and we're doing absolutely everything in our power to not harm them. So if that happens, it's all over. So yeah. we, we absolutely cannot take that chance.
0: I guess that's is that why you, they started with foxes first. Yes. A little bit less sensitive. That's right. Less um, sensitive. It's well thought out.
1: Yeah. So we will be doing cat baiting. Um, it's going to be a research trial with something called a cat, which is bait in sausage meat. So a is being trialled at the moment as an effective form of ridding cats from an area, feral cats. We're targeting feral cats only, and we're only baiting in areas that are so remote that there's no chance of a domestic cat actually ever reaching that bait. Okay, yeah. cool.
0: And if they were yep. there, they really shouldn't be there in the first place, I guess. That's right.
1: It's also about responsible cat ownership. So as a part of this whole project, we're going to be talking to people down on the Southern York Peninsula and discussing how we can improve responsible cat ownership. Also, new laws in South Australia mean that every cat owner needs to desex and microchip their cats. So we'll be reinforcing that within the area as well because it's really important that everybody's on board and wanting this project to work. Without the community's support, we don't have a project. It's such a huge project. You need
0: every iota of support you can possibly garner. We're really
1: relying on those locals to get on board and help us out.
0: Cool. Mm. So the project is called uh, The Great Southern Arc and you've dropped a couple of names, but can you give us a little overview of... Who are the members of this arc? What animals are going to feature?
1: That's right. It's very exciting. It's fantastic to think about it with a 20 plus year sort of timescale in mind because we can do all sorts of things and the opportunities are endless. But at the moment, the plan is to reintroduce brush-tailed betongs, and they're going in next spring. So brush-tailed bettons are, are sort of like a small hopping bandicoot. They're larger than a bandicoot. They're very shy. They have a long prehensile tail, so that means that they can use their tail to hold things and they actually use the tail to hold sticks to gather nesting material. That's very cute. So they're the soil engineers. They're our star soil engineers. They're critically endangered across Australia. So we're going to increase, obviously, their conservation status um, and improve their chance of surviving into the future by reintroducing a new population of those guys. So they're going in in spring next year, and then in the following spring, we're doing another release of rush child betongs. Then we're going to give them a chance to establish self-sustainable populations, and then we're going to bring in the southern brown bandicoots. They're an omnivore. We've talked a little bit about them. They look a little bit like a rat, but they've got a really big bum and a long snout. Don't confuse them with a rat. They're much cuter. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so southern brown bandicoots are going in between one and five years from now. So we don't have an exact timeline yet. And then we, again, we'll give them a chance to establish self-sustainable populations. And then we're going to start bringing in some barn owls. Oh. So this is a really interesting one. So barn owls already exist on the Southern York Peninsula, but there was an honors project that was done a couple of years ago by a wonderful student called Kelly Meaney. And she put out uh, barn owl nest boxes, which she modified, and she had a 60% uptake of nest boxes by barn owls. Wow. And then she put cameras up at those barn owl nest boxes, and she found that a pair of breeding barn owls bring in 3,000 mice per year. If we had a pair of barn owls every two hectares, we would get rid of 3 million mice per year. Wow. So we should probably introduce house mice as a pest now for agriculture um, and for that landscape. So the idea of bringing in barn owls is to control house mice as a pest. And they can, of course, plague up. They're a pest to crops. They dig, they eat the seeds, they're all sorts. They uh, disturb the area, they disturb the land. So yeah, the barn owls will hopefully control them.
0: So I, I really love this this integration of sustainable agriculture and biodiversity conservation. That's I right. feel like the barn owl is really the the crux of that whole mm. interlocking system, mm-hmm. where you have practices like uh, no-till, where you leave mm-hmm. the stubble, you don't burn the stubble in a field, but mm-hmm. that sustainable practice actually harbors feral mice. mice. I know. So this is a way that we can, one, reintroduce, mm-hmm. well not reintroduce, I guess it would be augment the population of barn owls that are already there. That's right. Increase their numbers. It's
1: a rewilding project in and of itself. So it is augmenting, encouraging more barn owls into the area, but it's not a reintroduction. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then they're going to prey upon the feral mice. That's right. So it's this great partnership.
1: That's right. So because we need to do fox and cat control as part of this project so that the native mammals we're reintroducing are safe foxes and cats prey on mice. So we don't want the mouse numbers to increase when we take away the foxes and cats. Mm-hmm. That's when we bring in these barn owls to help us control the mice. Uh, so barn owls will be available for landowners and farmers to have on their properties. We'll be installing the nest boxes. Um, we're looking to install several hundred over the next few years. So. Uh, these guys will be on the farmland, not in the native vegetation, but on the farmland.
0: Oh right, yeah. okay. So
1: that will be within the next five years, the barn owls. After that come the red-tailed Fasca-gales.
0: gale Fasca-gale.
1: Have you heard of a Fasca-gale?
0: I tried to pronounce <laughs> the word when I read it, but tell me what a Fasca-gale is. A
1: Fasca-gale looks like a really, really cute little possum with a very long tail that's sort of a, a rusty red on the tip, a long bushy tail. They're arboreal, so they live in trees. They look gorgeous, they're very ferocious. Right. So they're ferocious carnivorous marsupials, they prey on mice. So they're also going to help us control the mice. So we're not just going to rely on the barn owls, we're going to do a three-pronged approach to um, mouse eradication or removal.
0: I guess like the question that I have on the top of my mind is, what are all these animals going to eat when the mice are gone?
1: Uh, so there's a lot of things that red-tailed fascigals can eat. They eat insects, invertebrates. So they're omnivores; they're not just carnivores. And yeah. the
0: barn owls—they're going to take. Barn
1: owls naturally mammals, move or? in and out of areas as prey abundances change. Mm. Yeah. So and they might prey on our native animals, but we're giving our native animals a chance to establish self-sustaining populations. Yeah. If there's uh, some predator-prey interactions there, that's how a natural, healthy ecosystem that's works. That's ecology. Yeah. So we're not trying to remove that. Mm.
0: Where are these animals that are being reintroduced, where are they coming from? Are they they're being yeah. specially bred for this project or they already exist somewhere else? Or how's that for work? For the
1: brush-tailed betongs, we're taking a hundred animals from wild populations in WA. So they're extant populations. They're wild, they're in areas where there are some foxes and cats, so they should Uh, They're not going to be predator-naive.
0: So they've got some
1: aversion already to those? That's right. They've learned to avoid those predators. Over the um, next two years, we're going to be sourcing some brush-tailed betongs from some captive bred populations, mostly to increase the genetic diversity of that population. Yeah. So hopefully when they're reintroduced into the population with individuals that are predator-averse, they can learn that predator aversion from the animals that have already established.
0: So other than taking uh, animals from extant wild populations, are there going to be breeding programs that are going to start up for some of these other animals?
1: That's right. We're hoping to use Wardang Island, which is a Narunga-owned island. Um, Narunga, uh, the Indigenous peoples of the Southern York Peninsula, they're really proud of Wardang Island, and it's currently being revegetated and rehabilitated. It was degraded by foxes, cats and rabbits. There are only a few cats remaining on the island so we're hoping to use this island to rid it of cats, increase the revegetation efforts and rehabilitate that island and its natural systems and then use it as a, a local breeding area. Yeah this is something that's down the track so not anytime soon. but yeah. It's in the works
0: think an interesting case study for reintroduction of native mammals is the arid recovery just outside Roxby Downs. Mm. But there you have a system where they did a really good job reintroducing herbivores and micro predators, mm-hmm. but in an absence of macro predators, things feeding on like, the burrowing betong, for example, that's right. they reached a density which is actually having a detrimental effect. Is there a plan yeah. to introduce macro carnivores, native macro carnivores? Quolls, I guess, would be my first
1: guess. Yeah, so we're reintroducing the Western Quoll, oh, of course, cool. at the 10-year mark. So that was the next animal that comes after red-tailed Fasca Gale. So sorry I was getting there. So, i sorry to cut you off. <laughs> no, it's a good prompt. So we're yeah bringing in quolls. They're another carnivorous marsupial. and uh, Quolls will eat rabbits and mice. And oh. once the rabbits and mice are gone, if that happens, they'll start controlling the um lower trophic order animals like the brush-tailed bettongs and the southern brown bandicoots. So the quolls also are self-regulating. So uh, females defend territories with their dens in them, which means that quoll abundances can't just keep increasing like cat and fox abundances can within an area because they won't keep breeding. They don't have the ecological space. So the quolls will be self-regulating and then they'll regulate the populations of all of the animals underneath them. So nothing can, can get out of whack and out of balance.
0: So you, they're really thinking about this from a totally holistic approach. That's you know, right. The herbivores, yeah. the micro carnivores, the macro carnivores. It's, it's sounds landscape like it's really, scale. It is landscape and scale. And it's
1: ecosystem scale. That's very
0: cool. and It's really novel in a way that we don't yeah. often think about conservation from you know, this vantage point. That's right. tend to have a narrow scope, but this is really taking a broad view. Yeah.
1: And I I have to shout out to my wonderful boss and the director of the project, Dr. Andy Sharp, who's really the brainchild behind all of this. And he's really thinking about it holistically. Yeah. From every angle. We've we've spoken about
0: the advances and the gains that agriculture Mm. is going to, to receive from this. What other economic... I mean, the York Peninsula is not unlike other regional places in Mm. Australia generally where you have demographic decline, Mm -hmm. economic decline.
1: Exactly. So
0: is there going to be other aspects to the sort of economic rejuvenation from this rewilding project? That's
1: right. So there's a triple bottom line to this project. There's agricultural productivity increases, there's the environmental benefits, and then there's the economic benefits. Um, So starting simple... This is going to be bringing back iconic native mammals into an already very beautiful and special part of Australia that's already a tourist attraction. So can you imagine how many more tourists will attract when people can realize that they can camp out with brush-tailed bettongs hopping around their feet? Yeah. Most people haven't even seen a brush-tailed bettong or a red-tailed bettong or heard of them before. So these are really special animals and they're highly interactive species as well. They're the kind of species that will come up to you at your campsite. So that will increase tourism to the area it's a large project that will attract uh, has already attracted international attention so the benefits to tourism will be enormous we foresee of course that will stimulate the local economy more tourists to the area will increase uh, visitors to local shops and pubs and and hopefully can, um, people in the area can tack on to this and start their own businesses and rejuvenate their businesses. Yeah, that's really cool. And we'll also increase the jobs for locals and also the opportunities for the Naranga to take ownership of this project and lead tours and, and sh- tell people about their iconic animals. Yeah, I and mean, then yeah.
0: cultural history, that's important and- Very important. Really fascinating. So
1: fascinating and something that a lot of people are quite naive about. We need to learn more about it. Or just straight up
0: ignorant. Like, we just don't know, you know. We don't know. People were so quickly displaced from their land that we didn't even have a chance to ask them. I know.
1: And we've lost a lot of that local knowledge, that indigenous knowledge. But we don't learn these things in school as well. So that needs to change. But that's a whole other topic. Yes, (laughs) yes it is.
0: Um, I was just thinking about... um, the island off the coast of Western Australia, Rotness Island. Yeah. That, that's like the perfect. The quok is, yeah, the quok is. Yeah. I, we, My wife and I host couch surfers, and yeah. if they're coming from WA, there's no way they didn't go to Rotness Island. Of course. So, so I can totally imagine it would be like a giant open wildlife sanctuary basically right
1: it is so it's not going to be a legal sanctuary and we're very careful not to use that term um, because sanctuary maybe implies that we're changing the laws around how this land can be accessed so people live and Uh, their livelihoods depend on this land. We're not changing Mm -hmm. anything that happens on their land or the way that they practice agriculture. But it's a safe haven. It's a safe haven because fox and cat numbers will be quite low Mm -hmm. and we'll have all of these um, iconic species return to the land. And if you can imagine driving down the York Peninsula, we've got this huge fence across. You'll be driving through it at some point and we'll have signs there and information booths. We're hoping to do information booths. A turn off at the fence where you can read about the project. So even just visually, it's going to be quite an attractive place. Yeah. Cool. Driving into the ark, can you imagine?
0: Into
2: the ark. Yeah. I like that. Mm. That's great. So I'm Chris. I'm sitting behind the gear in all of the podcast episodes. I just want to jump in here and ask Grace uh, something else about this project. So it seems that this is a project that's very unique and it's of a large scale and perhaps something that hasn't really been implemented in Australia before. So I'm really interested, is there anything that you're interested to discover or maybe learn about this project that you can take forward to other projects and get the ball Mm -hmm. rolling on this line of work?
1: Yeah, there is so much. So we're actually developing a research protocol that will encompass every aspect of this project as it unfolds so there will be research questions coming out of every stage of this project we already have pages of research questions that we want to answer about the brush tail betong for instance a really interesting one is the way that their gut microbiomes from a different place in australia might influence the microbiome of the soil that they're engineering so you know really left field things that you don't even think about there's so much we need to know um, I think a very big practical and applicable question is how do we do uh, feral predator control within a landscape where we have holiday makers, uh, domestic residents and people that live off the land, agriculture and farming um, and integrate all of that at once. So. Really, this hasn't been done in areas where we have people living and residing and working before. So how that will work is going to be a model for the rest of Australia.
2: Absolutely. That sounds amazing. Um, Something I noticed about this project is the huge scale that it's on. And Mm -hmm. it seems like it's a trial of not just a conservation project, but carrying out conservation in a highly integrated way. So what's Mm. the actual land in the Great Southern Arc like? Like we call Mm. it, we call it the Southern York Peninsula and we call it the Great Southern Arc, Mm. but are there towns there, are there roads there, there, farms?
1: Everything. So about 55% of the project footprint is native vegetation, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, very Uh, So most of that is either national park, conservation park or heritage agreement. Um, There's also private land that's natural bush and there are a lot of farmers there that have significant areas of natural bush on their farms and they're very proud owners of that bush and they love that bush. Um, there are a lot of towns, like Marion Bay is a really popular holiday town. There's also a lot of residents there that live there year, year round. And there are a lot of campgrounds. So tourists come and camp in large areas and the rest is farming, farmland, barley, wheat, lupin.
2: Yeah, one of lentils. The, one of the great productive areas of South Australia, exactly, which to the is south.
1: so important, so important.
2: All right, thanks, thanks for the chat.
1: No worries.
0: Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast no and discussing all this with me. It's such a fascinating project. I really love the approach. It's so good to hear that we're taking this big picture view of conservation now, rather That's than right. just having a little narrow slice. You know, putting a plant here or conserving an animal in a zoo
1: yeah let's do it all at once yeah. it's pretty exciting isn't it
0: well if people want to find out more about this project or mm-hmm. your own work where can yeah. they where can they find that
1: sure so we will have a website up specifically for the Great Southern Ark in the next couple of months so keep an eye out for that in the meantime go to the Northern and York Natural Resources Management homepage and you'll find information on the Great Southern Ark. that's where all the information is in the interim if you want to follow me personally, I have Twitter. My handle is GraceVHodder, H-O-D-D-E-R. And I have an Instagram account. It's G-H-O-D-D.
0: Grace, thank you so much.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're liking the content, why don't you check out our back catalogue? We release a new episode every fortnight. If you'd like to support the production of this content, you could become a member of the biology society. Visit biologysocietysa.com.